0: what's up dune fans welcome back to the do not enter podcast where today Elias curse of spice is broken i'm your host humphrey shu and joining me are my friends and co-hosts Fillmore john what's up guys and nolan zhang welcome back everyone indeed welcome back everyone and today we will be going over the second half of chapter 41 um this mm-hmm. is episode 54 if i remember wow. correctly <laughs> So yeah, um, pretty excited for this one. Um, it's a lot of dialogue, so we'll be doing some reading um, and there'll be some longer chunks. Uh, but there's also a lot of interesting revelations that we'll get to. But um, first off, uh, are there any revelations about you guys as weeks?
1: Mm. Honestly, I learned that Mu Data or something has state conventions. Like I just learned that yesterday. I was like, whoa, they have math conventions like for states. Uh-huh. So I should probably look into that, even because like, I want to do that for my juniors next year.
0: Oh, OK. So for those of y'all who don't know, Mu Alpha Theta is the math honor society at our high schools. Um, so, yeah, so it's um, pretty. So at some schools, it's more prestigious than other schools. Um, at Nolan's mm-hmm. school, it's uh, pretty, pretty prestigious. So, yeah, it's pretty good.
1: Yeah, we run a pretty big student group mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> at my school. It's pretty much non-existent. So uh, there you go. <laughs>
1: Yeah, same for me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, we do have, we do go to
2: competitions and such. Uh, we went to the U of H one a couple of weeks ago. Oh yeah, we were there
1: too. I saw y'all, y'all were at the, yeah, there's a Stratford person on the list. Uh huh. Unfortunately, I was,
2: I didn't participate because I had some other activity that day.
0: Oh yeah. I didn't participate either because I didn't find out until two days before the contest. Oh. Mm Um, but. Were y'all
1: at the Wilchester STEM Fest? I was was not.
0: I don't go to anything in the community. That's something I need to change. (laughs)
2: And anything that has to do with Wilchester I disagree with uh-huh. <laughs> you have relations with them. Anyway.
0: Yeah, so um yeah, so um pretty interesting. Uh but let's uh dive right into the chapter. But before that we'll do our quotes. So uh Fillmore as usual you have the first quote.
2: Okay, so for my quote this week I chose We know the need for cautious waiting, Jessica thought. But there's the core of our frustration. We know also the harm that waiting extended too long can do us. We lose our senses of purpose if the waiting's prolonged.
0: Yeah, mm, I hate waiting. Game. Right now we're playing the waiting game with college decisions. Yeah, but. for y'all. I'm yeah. so impatient. <laughs> well, Nolan's done. Nolan's already, you know, committed. Yeah, committed and, everything. and everything. But I mean, oh. we got
2: a pretty big um, yeah. revelation the other day with UT. Uh, oh, oh yeah. big dubs.
0: Yeah, we got into uh, the University of Texas, Austin, which is a um, pretty good school. Let's go. Especially good. for our majors. Indeed, Hook them
1: horns. Yeah. Sorry for the Aggies
0: in the chat. <laughs> uh, horns up. <laughs> uh, if you're an Aggie, my condolences. Yep. Apologies. Uh, anyway, so um, my quote goes, Gathering water, planting the dunes, changing the world slowly but surely. These are no longer enough, Jessica thought. The little raids, the certain raids, those are no longer enough now that Paul and I have trained them. They feel their power. They want to fight. Whoa! Yeah, they're okay. getting impatient like cool. us. Uh-huh. It's the whole waiting game. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For my quote this week, I chose: "What do we really know of how such a one thinks, after unique experiences and training, ancestry?"
0: Mm, mm. Interesting. Yeah, it's all about ancestry. Ancestry is such a key part of this book. So, well, ancestry is I mean, it, pretty me? important in our <laughs> world too. Mm-hmm. Like, indeed, it's it's less important nowadays. I guess it's more yeah. important maybe in more traditional countries you know Mm -hmm. but uh here in america you know ancestry is a melting pot yeah with a melting pot and everything it's not as important
2: yeah Um, people don't really judge you off your past nowadays
0: Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. yeah so uh let's get into the bulk of the chapter then so we left off last chapter with aliyah making the ominous statement that Hera already knows what to do so what does Big Hera range. need to do well what Hera intends to do is to inform the whole wide Fremen community that Aaliyah isn't really a little girl and never has been a little girl so Gasp. Um, yeah I can
2: kind of imagine Hera with one of those megaphone saying
0: Aliyah's not a little girl <laughs> yeah, it's just I knew it pretty, all along another yeah. one of those 40,000 people uh, conventions or something you know <laughs> and then you just Harris standing on some rock with a megaphone <laughs> Yeah, screaming into uh, it <laughs> yeah but I mean I think this whole thing is a bit unfair because biologically I think Aaliyah is a little girl right just because mm-hmm. she acts like an adult in a child's body shouldn't really strip that away from her in my opinion she's clearly not as mature as say Jessica um, But even though you know she has all of Jessica's memories and whatever but I mean Hera may be overly harsh in saying that she's never been a little girl right yeah
2: but I think at the same time the words hold the truth within them. I mean, I feel bad for Aaliyah because she never really experienced a childhood because she was filled mm. with the memories of adults far before she was even born.
0: Right. But, yeah. Uh,
2: however, we can't ignore the fact that
1: she is just, in fact, just not a child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she never really had like the moments of innocence or like learning or curiosity a child would, like have their lifetime it's just like really sad yeah
0: she she already she was born knowing everything knowing more than any adult really would know in their whole lives right so Mm -hmm. i don't know she, she skipped that crucial phase of development but that doesn't necessarily make her not a child
1: yeah i also think there's actually like quite a big character development that we see from hera because she goes out of her way to protect and love someone like Aaliyah, which isn't necessarily her responsibility because just like St. Elia and all the troubles associated with her and also like the other Fremen, right? Like it could be something that Hera totally ignores, but instead she not only feels a duty to Paul, but also beyond that, like her, she has a sense of love to St. Aaliyah that she places herself as like the bearer of the truth, as like the one who, to deliver all the, I guess, truth upon the Fremen people, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Honestly, Hera's come a long way since... Oh Jamis's death, because she didn't even yes. shed tears
1: for him, and
2: then now, he, now she's here protecting Aaliyah.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. like we've we've always thought, you know, that Hera was trophy wife sort of style. Even uh, even calling her the Ganima, right, Aaliyah. Um, that yeah. But you know, Hera's really kind of showcased her qualities here, and she thinks a lot deeper than what Herbert initially wrote her as. Um, there wasn't really any indication that Hera had, you know, considering she was just like. The first time Paul um, was conversing with Hera, it was just her seeking you know, safety for her kids and all that, you know, it's anything a natural mother would do, but we didn't think anything was out of the ordinary, except for, you know, Hera is almost a trained reverend mother, right? And she's, um, yeah. you know, she has all these powers that we didn't think of. It's, it's quite a drastic change, Um in such a short span of time. But it just, you know, highlights there's so many different facets of Hera's character. It just makes her really interesting to uh, discuss.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we definitely underestimated her mm-hmm. to a massive degree.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and it just keeps getting more interesting because Hera discourages it when Aaliyah calls herself a freak. Um, so it's pretty clear that Hera is still... Cl- deeply cares for Aaliyah, um, even though Aaliyah's been a massive burden on her shoulders. And here, you know, a moment of revelation, Jessica realizes that the best way for this information to go out is through Hera, um, since she's much more trusted in the Ferman community. She has an established reputation. um, And so it'll be less shocking for the general public if uh, someone they trust will deliver all of this information.
2: Mm -hmm. And this Mm -hmm. is huge, because we were wondering why Hera was so important in the last episode and why she was needed and mm-hmm. now we get the real reason for it because she's the one who can connect the rift between Aaliyah and the Fremen. And mm-hmm. I still think she's going to play a greater role in the future, but for now, this is the pretty big role that she has.
1: Yeah. I also just, like, I really like how, really, like, nobody ever saw this coming, not even Paul, who has all these future scene powers. When he first saw Hera, he was just like, oh, she's just someone I have to put up with. Let me get rid of her as soon as I can, you know? Like, I'm only duty-bound to her because because of, like, I, I killed took Jamis. over Jameis. Yeah. yeah, I killed Jamis. But now I see that it's like, in my opinion, she's playing such a big part because it's not only the fact that she's trusted within the Fremen community. I also think it's just because like, Hera is a lot more relatable to a Fremen that she could play this special role because they've grown up with her. Like they share the same Fremen ways of the desert and they've gone through sadness and loss with her. In a way, it kind of also shows that even though Jessica and Aaliyah are, are like, they are definitely part of the tribe, their positions as Reverend Muller's kind of continues to put off like the regular Fremen. Like, in a way, it's kind of like something that we noticed last episode where it's, like, the Reverend Muller's, how they're viewed from the people's perspective, perspective isn't quite too different from how other people in like around the universe view Bene Gesserit, you know? like They mm-hmm. still call them witches, but they're, like, different from
0: them. Ah, uh, that is an interesting parallel. But I just suppose it's just this commonality, you know, across, I guess, just human nature to naturally suspect what's different, right? So mm-hmm. the fact Agreed. that, you know, so... The fact that Aaliyah herself, you know, she's she is a jesterer, right? Um, there's no reason that the fremen would treat her like one of their own, which is kind of like the ben Gesserit kind of outcast throughout the entire universe, right? Yeah. So, I don't
1: even think the ben know about her, like Aaliyah and her special abilities. Mm, I don't, either. I
0: don't think it's it's gotten back to, uh, gay as Helen Mohiam, yeah, Mohiam, uh-huh. yeah. I'm, so I'm not even
2: sure star. how
1: many people knew
2: of uh, Jessica's pregnancy before the atreides
0: really down. nobody right because um it oh, was yeah. just paul with his foresight i guess mm-hmm. um and oh, of yeah, course and jessica would have known. Sister. yeah and jessica would have known but mm-hmm. otherwise, I'm not even sure if Lito was aware of it no Lito was not aware of it yeah, yeah. I, it was because Jessica said you know she permitted herself to like conceive or something like that so oh, it wasn't right. so they I've... have the con-
2: ability to control their births I yeah oh, yeah
0: Yeah. so I mean though, Ben Jessica really have the ability to control crazy anything guys. that happens with their bodies yeah so it's pretty crazy yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and
2: now we get the truth of what actually happened to A- Aaliyah when Hera asked what happened to her and hmm. she says one day I woke up, it was like waking from sleep except that I could not remember going to sleep. I was in a warm, dark place, and I was frightened. When I was frightened, I tried to escape, but there was no way to escape. Then I saw a spark, but it wasn't exactly like seeing it. The spark was just there with me, and I felt the spark's emotion soothing me, comforting me, telling me that everything would be all right. That was my mother. Just when I felt safe and reassured, there was another spark, with us, and everything was happening at once. The other spark was the old Reverend Mother. She was trading lives with my mother. Everything. And I was there with them, seeing it all. Everything. And it was over. And I was them and all the others and myself. Only it took me a long time to find myself again. There were so many others. Wow. (laughs) Honestly, this sounds absolutely terrifying because she formed the conscience even before she was born and was caught in the process of becoming a Reverend Mother, which kept her from finding herself and imagine not even being able to or imagine not being completely developed and losing your sense of self that's identity at a whole nother level
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah so i mean so she you know describes the transformation and everything and it's just really interesting how she can recall these memories from the womb because i mean i suppose the changing (laughs) had somehow altered her physically too right? Since we don't really gain the mental capacity to form memories until we're like four years old. So I don't know. Yeah. I just think it's, it's really crazy that, you know, even before you're able to form memories, you start forming memories and, you know, you develop this whole alter identity before you're given the chance to, you know, develop that identity on your own naturally. Um, mm-hmm. I think that just, again, more like you said, you know, it, it's it is it's like reverse identity theft. It's not you're not getting your identity stolen. You're getting identity forced getting provided. You. Yeah. So I just yeah. think that it's it's just really you know biologically and also psychologically it's just really unnatural. And um, I I don't know how mm. Alia was you know literally physically affected by this, um, or how you know of course she's very mentally and emotionally affected. Right. It's almost traumatic in in a sense.
2: Yeah. We don't even know if Alia is Alia anymore. Like mm-hmm. she she's she, she like might who just is be a completely. Yeah. We don't know who she is. She's just a mix of hundreds upon hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy to think about.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And honestly, reading Dune makes me wonder how far human evolution has come. Because in some moments, there are clear indications that humans have changed, but at other times, they just seem like a human you would find in our world.
1: Yeah, so I could totally also see why Jessica said, my quote of the week, what do we really know of how such a one thinks, of her unique experiences in training and ancestry? So, in this way, it kind of confirms that Jessica and Aaliyah are only connected by the past of the Reverend Mothers, all mixed together because both of them inherited it. So both of them share the past of all the Reverend Mothers. but right now what they are, there's like two different entities that don't actually share their living experiences. So in this case, even though Jessica is like, she's scared for Aaliyah because she actually doesn't quite understand Aaliyah either because she thought like she understands the thoughts of like the past, but she doesn't understand the current feelings of like being a child and handling all this without any training that Jessica's had for like all her life, right? Right. So, mm-hmm. Like in a way, it kind of reminds me of how Jessica is experiencing kind of another Paul, like someone she could train certain aspects of and like improve in some ways, but still someone she can never fully understand because it's not her. It's not her going through all the experiences mm-hmm. and like, it's not her being OP. You know what I mean? Yeah. Also like, In my case, it's just like, I feel like it's a really hard road to play because I can never imagine myself training a prodigy. Like the burden is like super weighty not to screw up their talent, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's also like, there's just such a limit to what you could teach them because you know, they're going to surpass you and you know, there's like a stepping stone in their life. And then you're just hoping that whatever you teach them is enough to carry them to like whatever challenges they'll face on their own. Like like, you just got to trust that what you had was enough for them it kind of reminds me of
0: it kind of reminds me of Um, there's like three really good tennis players right um and then they have coaches these are the three greatest tennis players of all time the big three and they have coaches right and it's just imagine how you know your coach must feel so much pressure because you're coaching one of the greatest players of all time right yeah like what does a coach do like like i don't
1: at that point it's like who teaches who, you know, at yeah. that level? Like, but it's just mm.
0: like um, with Novak Djokovic, who's one of the three greatest players, um, his coach, um, Ivanicevic, is a really good server. So he uses that to oh. work on, you know, one aspect of his game, right? Um, Djokovic wants to improve his serve, so he goes to a really good server. Um, and so th- so maybe, you know, with these prodigies here, you know, if they want to, there's definitely specialists in each area. These prodigies are just really good at everything, but doesn't mean they can't improve, right? right
2: so and as a coach they have that ability to teach and prodigies they most of the time they're not very good at teaching cuz what comes to them comes naturally mm-hmm. but coaches they mostly get their talent quote unquote talent through actual hard work so they're That's able true. to explain how they got got there and yeah. Yeah. even for like prodigies if they're able to explain the process to them they're able to like the prodigies can get like a further fundamental understanding of how to do it
1: I'm also pretty sure that a lot of prodigies because they rely so much on natural talent kind of ignore some of the basic foundations or like to have developed bad habits in a way. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a coach which is like trained to analyze someone's game are able to help them cover up like some of these bad habits that they've developed over the years. Right. They're just there to smooth them out.
0: Yeah. I mean, again, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard, right? Um I feel like that's and then a recurring thing. Some theme. talent
2: that works hard and you're just screwed. Yeah, and you just there's nothing <laughs> right. you there's
0: nothing you can do. There's just some people that will be better than you. So just don't yeah. just and don't worry about that. dimitri <laughs> Don't yeah. don't compare guys. <laughs> yeah. So um kind of back to Aaliyah and Hera. Um so Hera has compassion for Aaliyah, but Aaliyah also has some compassion for Hera too, saying mm-hmm. that she shouldn't be sad. Um, but the reason that Hera shouldn't be sad about this whole situation is sort of surprising. So, Aaliyah calls herself a Reverend Mother. So, that's really crazy because Reverend Mother isn't really just a singular religious figure, I guess. It's anyone with the abilities of a Reverend Mother. Um, yeah, that's, so that's re- revelation. It's, yeah, so I always thought, you know, it was a, you know, a title bestowed upon you, but it's not really... It's a skill set. And Aaliyah must really be the youngest Reverend Mother ever.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, to further the crazy... Like, I mean, she's the Reverend Mother at the age of two, and sh- and she's holding one of the highest positions within the Bene Gesser world. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I would say she's even comparable to the Reverend Mother Gaius Helen mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, honestly, I don't know like, if the same, like, if, they, if both Gaius Helen, Gaius Helen Mohiam and, like, Jessica and Aaliyah inherited the same hundreds of generations of Reverend Mothers, but I do know that whoever they did inherit had a lot of knowledge to give them, you know? So they're both wise in their own ways. Mm-hmm. but also like in a way i feel like what aliyah said to hera isn't quite exactly like this great like sense of comfort at least to me because what she said kind of like is a hanging statement in a way She was just like woo the tribe has two reverend mothers now but what exactly does two reverend mothers mean right like does the tribe need two spiritual leaders like it's clear that reverend mothers do have great influence over the religious and ceremonial aspects of Fremen life i just don't see why there's like why it'd be beneficial to have two of them rather than just one because okay maybe i'm discounting reverend mothers a bit too much but like i just don't quite see like a more like how active of a role that they play in the tribe's like survival like, like they don't mm-hmm. play like, a, quite a materialistic way in that pers- in that pers- perspective yeah right right
2: right but i think the thing is jessica is the official reverend mother and mm-hmm. alia hasn't been recognized as like an actual reverend mother within fremen society and and i agree with you they don't really need two reverend mothers within fremen society i think one is enough because um as we've seen from last episode uh jessica teaches like the fremen of the weirding ways and that's basically what the reverend mother does i guess and then they just teach about like the benajester abilities and then that's i mean that's just what i think the reverend mother does
1: I just had this weirdest thought, but like, what happened with Aaliyah and Jessica means that they could have multiple Reverend Mothers at the same time, meaning that that Jessica doesn't have to die for the next Reverend Mother to ascend. You know what I mean? So
2: yeah, but if something they could like that is very this, rare, I think, or I would think so.
1: Yeah, probably. But, like, I'm just saying, like, if they could replicate this, and uh, like, eventually, in the grand scheme of things, where Fremen like conquer multiple worlds, they could have like a Reverend Mother on each world. Just saying.
2: Yeah, they would just have many, many more Reverend Mothers. A duplication glitch, if you will. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we already have multiple Reverend Mothers. It's just, you know, I guess it's just like Reverend Mothers of different sects, I guess. Yeah, that's Mm what I was thinking. Paul's going to become a Reverend Mother. A The the first Reverend Father. Yeah. Then we could really truly call him Father Paul. Father Paul.
2: Yeah. I was going to make a a joke but i don't think it seemed too appropriate never mind
0: mm-hmm. it's yeah okay. there's there's a lot of jokes associated with yeah uh-huh. but, <laughs> the word father <laughs> oh, luke i am your father <laughs> oh
1: also just something else that i noticed in this portion is just that i see how so G- 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 recognizes that what she did to Aaliyah was kind of unfair and in many ways cruel so Aaliyah didn't quite choose to be born supernatural or to have all these superhuman powers because now she's like constantly battling all the voices and visions in her head and she's being called weird by other people and now she can't fit in, right? She didn't choose all this. Mm-hmm. And like she said, she couldn't do anything else except to accept it all. She could just kind of consume it all to survive and to be born in the first place. I know like Hera said that she didn't know, but I'm pretty sure that both Paul and Jessica kind of knew about Aaliyah's presence in her stomach when she was undertaking the water of life challenge and i just feel like jessica when that happened she was just like i pray that nothing goes wrong with Aaliyah and that she's going to survive but like it just wasn't her main concern to protect Aaliyah. so i'm happy that she's at least acknowledging the fact that she took a big risk here
2: right but i think jessica was just completely unaware of what the reverend mother process was
1: that's true I i
2: don't think she was even expecting to become a reverend mother when she first entered the fremen sieges yeah i mean she just happened to run across a fellow reverend mother and they're like oh she's about to die so you we need you to take her place yeah she was the only ben jester around yeah right yeah so and then aaliyah just happened to be caught in the crossfire and this is where we ended up yeah Mm -hmm. so
0: well i think jessica jessica knew i think but probably not the extent of you know it would change her daughter And, and like jessica probably wasn't fully consenting but she realizes she has no choice she has to serve her ben interests right Mm -hmm. Um, i mean i don't think it's something she would have willingly done uh to to assume so much power when you know i don't know yeah yeah Yeah. i wish had
1: better there was better options you know maybe she would have done it but Mm -hmm. there there really wasn't any any other alternative
0: yeah in order for them to stay in the fremen culture they would have had to have, you know, power in some way. So this is the quickest Only way to way do they that. could have taken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's actually a weird chant going on here, which is apparently a ritual for the dead of Bella to juice. So it's interesting because um, Jessica says this word called Ramadan with like R-A-M-A-D-H-A-N. Um, which is kind of like Ramadan without the, you know, it's just without the H. Um, It makes sense because Ramadan is an Islamic holiday, and there's a lot of Islamic references in Dune. So Hera and and Jessica, you know, relate their memories of their ancestors who were prosperous before and then were brought to their knees by the raiders. So, you know, a lot of stories here. Mm -hmm. Also, just like the word
1: Ramadan, to provide some background information, is that originated from the Arabic root Ar-Ramad, which means scorching heat. It's basically a time of testing and discipline meant to purge someone of the impurities from their body and soul. All of it is to bring like oneself closer to Allah and make their actions much more intentional and much more selfless. And Muslims believe that through sacrifice they're able to achieve piety and self-reflection, which is why they undergo this torture of fasting, you know, for all, for all these many weeks. So mm-hmm. similarly, I was just wondering, like maybe the Fremen also practice a similar, re- similar tradition in order to achieve, like, in order to like reflect on how they were like enslaved and driven from their homeworld of Bella to Tejis. I can only assume like this because after I read the ritualistic words spoken by Hera Jessica Aleo, that's kind of what it kinda of sounded like to me. And just to make it kind of clear to y'all listeners, I'll read part of it to y'all so that y'all can understand where I'm trying to get from in a way to make up for me not having an epigraph, but <laughs> that's totally why I chose to read mm-hmm. this excerpt. Mm-hmm. So um let me go. Uh, my family sat in their pool courtyard. An air bathed by the moisture that arose from the spray of a fountain. There was a tree of portugals, round and deep in color, near at hand. There was a basket with mishmish and baklawa and mugs of liban. All manner of good things to eat. In our gardens and in our flocks, there was peace. Peace in all the land. Life was full with happiness until the raiders came. Blood ran cold at the scream of friends. La, 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 the woman cried. The raiders came through he, the mushtamal rushing at us with their knives, dripping red from the lives of our men. We will never forgive and we will never forget. So, yeah. What a powerful way to
0: end that off. We'll never forget, Uh never forget.
1: That's why I believe it was just like the Ramadan that they're celebrating now is a way of remembering the past, you know, Mm -hmm. to reflect on their past.
2: Yeah. Oh, so it's sort of like a tradition to uh, remember what the... I guess, like the war crimes the Harkonnens committed. <laughs> Basically. Uh-huh. Were,
0: were they the Harkonnens, though? I mean, at least it was the, the slavery. It, it was it
2: was definitely the... I think it was the Harkonnens.
1: I think.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or like the ancestors. I don't know. Yeah. It, it would make out. sense.
0: The Harkonnens would make sense. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: But I think... I find it fitting that Ramadan takes place in April because... Or I guess the Fremen version of Ram- Ramadan takes place in April and because the Ramadan in our world takes place from March to April. And... Mm-hmm. I think that's probably like one of the hottest times in the Middle East. I'm not sure. Maybe it's like later in the year, but I think it's around then. And also, I just realized that if the Fremen had full control of Arrakis instead of the Harkonnens, they would probably be one of the wealthiest in the universe, which would have allowed them to achieve their goal of making Arrakis a paradise a lot
1: easier yeah they totally could have just bribed off the gill to drop off more water <laughs> yeah or just set up those like weather controllers
0: or something too expensive Uh-oh. to transfer water but
1: but when you have the world of spice you know mm. yeah
2: i mean when you're worth price, like right? trillions and trillions of salaries like you can kind of do a lot yeah,
0: just trillions or like trillion to the power of a trillion you know <laughs> google <laughs> i don't know anything yeah.
2: bigger than a trillion guys mm. <laughs> quintillion septillion i don't know yeah just I know.
0: Googleplex, i guess <laughs>
2: I mean all probably infinite amounts of money considering mm-hmm. I'm assuming the planet continues making spice over and over again. Oh like yeah. a renewable
0: resource. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's I would crazy. assume so. Yeah. Um but kinda moving on from that, uh there's some groups of youngins who are banding together to force Paul to call out Stilgar if he survives riding the maker. So this is called a Razia. Um and it's a hostile raid for purposes of conquest and plunder. So it makes mm-hmm. it Seem that there's some fanatic legion just waiting to serve Paul, which really makes me think that this is the beginning of the jihad, right? This is what really kicks it all off. Um, the yeah. fact that there's already people who are, you know, desperate almost to serve Paul and Fudge. and be, you know, his their his first battalion or I guess or something like that. His um, Yeah, so it's just you know it's already kind of morphed from something natural to something unnatural this fanatical almost religious worship right um and mm-hmm, yeah. yeah so it, it just gets more complicated from there though too yeah
2: yeah i mean these young whippersnappers don't understand the connection between paul and stillgar and they just want paul to be the overall presiding leader and mm-hmm. i think that's really unfortunate because i really like stillgar as a character i mean he's sort of mysterious and powerful even though he was defeated by jessica but mm-hmm. But I still think he's pretty cool. And not to mention, he acted as a support for Paul in his darkest times.
1: Yeah, I think that, especially after what we read last chapter, it makes this, like, I guess this this voices of, like, these negative voice is much more hurtful because we saw how close that Paul and Stilgar actually have grown. They're no longer just like Fremen leader and like random newcomer. They're actually really close friends now that Stilgar is like lending words of companionship to lighten Paul's mood right before his maker writing test. Just like how absolutely barbaric of these Fremen. They don't know the term of bureaucracy. They just believe in one dictator. Like they don't know how a government works. You need multiple talented people to run a government. You can't just have one talented person
2: yeah and I think Hera mentions later like they need all the military force they can get and killing yeah. someone strong like Stilgar off is just not a good choice
0: yeah although I have I a have feeling General. I mean it, just based off of Herbert's past um, it, it would be it's very plausible that he'll just yeah, kill off yeah it's not Stilgar. unexpected
2: if Stilgar kicks the yeah, bucket. yeah so I'm already mentally
0: <laughs> preparing for that even though you know I like Stilgar <laughs> but also I get a feeling here that he won't be killed off I mean he seems crucial enough that, um, that Herbert would keep him, right? Because he's kind of responsible for maintaining so much order. Um, so there's um, a few different things, you know, Stilgar's treatment of Paul in the earlier chapter was sort of, I guess, like foreboding. Um, but also, you know, the, the previous character that was killed off uh, kind of arbitrarily was Kynes. And Kynes, I guess, wasn't crazy useful for much past his uh, his vision, so once the vision became clear, then, you know, Herbert kind of felt it. It was within his Extra creative freedom. <laughs> yeah, it was his creative freedom to kill kinds, right? I mean, the role of Stilgar isn't super pronounced, but, um, I mean, it, it was just be really disappointing to see him go. I'm not quite ready for that yet, especially not having a death for a while. Yeah. 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 So um, here's my quote for the week. Uh, it goes... Gathering water, planting the dunes, changing their world slowly but surely. These are no longer enough, Jessica thought. The little raids, the certain raids, these are no longer enough now that Paul and I have trained them. They feel their power. They want to fight. Oh uh, Yeah, they're they're becoming more and more animalistic as time goes on, which is uh, really interesting because the Bene Gesser are supposed to be anti-animal. Um, yep. But mm-hmm. the fact that they're in power just makes the family more animalistic is kind of... I feel like one of the, the greater ironies that we've witnessed so far. Um, But I really like this quote because it's something you just feel, you know, when you have a lot of extra power, you just want to flex those muscles and use your power to intimidate others and to your own advantage. Um, it's just partially greed, um, human nature to be unsatisfied with what you have and want to <laughs> expand to something more past your boundaries, um, not necessarily to push yourself, but more to just you know test yourself and see how much you can use your power to manipulate others right and Mm -hmm. and um i mean it's sort of machiavellian i suppose but I think this is the first time that the Fremen have been introduced to such power, um, this Bene Gesserit weirding style of fighting, and it's almost impossible yeah. for them to control their animalistic instincts, and they just now want to raid the universe, and they're, you know it's this razia that just keeps growing and growing, which is what will eventually happen at this rate. You know We know the jihad is on the horizon. Um, it, it definitely seems the dominoes are toppling. Um, yep. So kind of I'm interested to see how this plays out because definitely Paul is still very opposed, but Jessica and mm-hmm. you know, Shani don't seem as opposed. So yeah, uh, how will this I, mean, I just think a...
2: everybody just falling towards this one idea of fighting against the Harkonnens, kill mm-hmm. off our oppressors. We've waited long enough. It's our time to fight back. Indeed. And, and yeah, now that right. we have the actual power and we have the leader to t- tell us and guide us and like how to fight against the Harkonnens, we want to fight back.
1: Yeah, like, why wait? They've been, like, oppressed for so long, like, it's about time that they satisfy their hunger, like, right. so many of them have died just because they've been told that they, it was, they weren't ready yet, you know, they like keep Kain's vision of a possibility so they can't rebel yet. It was like, now that they're ready, like, now that they can actually, like, secure their dreams, they don't want to hold off any long because they've already waited so many years.
2: Yeah, now that their dream is actually plausible, they just want to take it.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, you know, carpe diem sort of sees the moment. And, yep, uh, <laughs> And I mean it's it's just now or never at this point because they've never been in such position before even though they've always been powerful. Thank you yeah. logo moment. <laughs> just do it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Anyways, so my quote is actually the second part of yours. It goes, mm-hmm. "We know the need for cautious waiting," Jessica thought. "But there's the core of our frustration. We know also the harm that waiting extended too long can do us. We lose our senses of purpose if the waiting's prolonged." Mm-hmm. And Honestly, I think it sort of reminds me of... Well, I mean, my analogy to it is preparing for a competition a year in advance. Mm -hmm. And I think it's good to prepare early, but at a certain point, you sort of forget what you're preparing for because it's so far away. I mean, if you practice every day for six months, you're going to get really good, but you just get really bored of the piece and you just kind of lose purpose Mm -hmm. in it. And I I think it's just good to take action immediately after finishing... Finishing the preparation phase so that you're just
1: mentally prepared for that event as well. Yeah. Yeah. As a mega procrastinator, I could totally understand why just like when something is a whole year away, I just don't feel the need to do it. It'd be like, I promise. Like, I'm pretty talented. I'll pull it together within two weeks. Uh-huh. And then the two weeks come, I'm like freaking out and like staying yeah. up till like at 2 or 3 a.m. I was like, please kill me. I'm dying. I was like, uh-huh. yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that, that's
0: me too. You know, I'm preparing a... a... Kind of lengthy music recital For in a few months But I mean it feels It's you know in mid-May So it's as of the time of this recording It's three and a half months away So I mean I'm super excited for the recital and playing you know 30 or so minutes of repertoire but also right now I'm just playing everything other than the pieces I'm supposed to be playing because you know it's just there's no there's no drive you know at this point right there's no urgency to it and it's just um the the fact that you know kind of tying it back to what Jessica's saying is that right now they have this sense of urgency and they have this sense of you know we have the resources to do this and we have we need to do it now before you know interest starts draining Yeah. yeah right yeah so it's really you know once you get them angry you have to kind of capitalize on that as soon as possible otherwise they'll just fizzle out in the frame and we'll just go back to hunkering in their in their sieges like before right so Mm -hmm. um yeah so it's just this this kind of seize the moment sort of thing that they they really need to do but also you know i feel like they're also rushing themselves into it a bit without fully considering the consequences aka the jihad yeah Mm -hmm. I just really
1: like how Herbert and like the, like in this couple of dialogue points in a way she covers both sides are being considered here. The question really is like, to wait or not to wait can't never escape truly the watchful minds of the beneestster like Jessica. However, the real question is, what exactly like just because Jessica saw it happening, right? Like, what is she going to do about? It? That's the real question.
2: I mean, uh-huh. what can she do about it? Absolutely yeah. <laughs> nothing. I would say. I, I mean, mean, even as the Reverend Mother, a high position within Ferment society, there's she doesn't quite hold enough power to c- calm everybody down, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think feel yeah, like she
0: the, up, yeah, all that uh, has cultural, been cultural. Yeah, uh, all that's necessary for this has been set in motion. I feel like it's just up to Paul to stop the avalanche. Um, before it I mean, rolls I mean, even everything. Paul
2: doesn't seem to be able to control it. I
0: think Paul is less powerful than Jessica, right? Um, yeah. Well, it depends, actually, in, in, in different scenarios, yeah. Well, um, I mean, I think
2: that's just because Paul was the catalyst that caused this thing to happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think Paul is just, like, the figurehead, and, like, like possibly like, even if he died or something, like, it's not going to stop it because he's already fulfilled, like, minimum like he's already made a dream happen so now they're just going to carry it through regardless of if it was true or not because they just go with the motions mm-hmm. at this point
0: right yeah so i mean next chapter um quick spoiler paul will meet the maker um but after Ooh. that is kind of everything is up to him to stop you know this t- tide of uh, unnatural animalistic instinct to take over everything right um, yeah. it's, it's really up to him to do that. He's the only one that has the ability now at this point. And it doesn't help that Jessica seems to be working against him, you know. So, um, yeah, yeah this is, he's got the whole whole world on his shoulders, quite literally, a raucous is in his hands.
1: <laughs> yeah. looks like a, the, the Christian thought.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this whole, again, this whole Stilgar thing, coming coming back to that is, is quite the dilemma because if Paul doesn't call out Stilgar, he's afraid. But we also really need Stilgar right now to settle all this madness. Um, Aliyah wants to listen to the young men um, but there's not really any form of a clear situ- solution here. I mean, I don't know what Aaliyah listening in will do. It seems They make it seem yeah. like it's such a big deal. But you know, it's just, oh, yeah, another little girl come <laughs> she's bothering two us. Years old. Yeah, she's two years old, the, for heaven's sake. yeah woman and yeah. children
1: like, are freaked out by her. Imagine the men listening to her. Like, I don't know, guys. <laughs> I would get
2: goosebumps, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And it really <laughs> sucks that Paul doesn't have a choice of calling out Stilgar and I know that it's not in Fremen culture for Stilgar to just step down on his position or step down from his position peacefully. And yeah. I know that if it comes to a fight to the death, I'm putting my money on Paul 100 out of 100 times, but uh-huh. at the same time I I don't want Stilgar to die.
1: Yeah, honestly just like rip Stilgar. I really hope that this isn't how he dies, honestly, because it's kind of anticlimactic in my opinion. It's not as bad as like, if he did not die this way, it wouldn't be as bad as Kynes did where he just like kind of sunk into a desert. But, like, come on, like, on Stilgard's tombstone, would just be, like, cause of infighting. Not exactly, like, the heroic exit you would expect someone like Stilgard to receive, you know?
2: Yeah, but I mean, we've only seen the bad side of Stilgard right now, where he got embarrassed by Jessica. I really
1: want to see him in action. Mm-hmm. Me yeah. too. I want to see him as, like, yeah. I mean, no one, really st- of battle. Yeah, no
0: one really Picky, stands a chance but. against the Bene jessica Like, come on, you know? Like, it's not yeah. really a fair fight. Without being trained uh-huh. that way, it's not a fair fight, like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we want to see, you know, Stilgar uh, knock off some Sardegar heads. Um, Me too. Yeah. So, I mean, Slide kick. Mm-hmm. yeah, so another small note here, um, the rest of this chapter is, um, there's a few small notes and they kind of a big thing at the end. But um, mm-hmm. the small note, Hera is leaving Paul's household to join Tartar in marrying one man. Um, so that's Mm -hmm. it's just this really interesting you know we've never even met tartar before and now Hera's about to marry into that family so you know pretty quick these move fast i
1: kind of assumed that like when Hera said she knows we will soon be wives together she and i to share the same man i kind of thought that she meant like tartar will marry into pa's family because that's how husbands are decided from a culture kind of like how pa inherited you know like Hera from Besting Jamis, so I thought like after he bested Stilgar, like Tartar would be part of his family. That's what I kinda of thought.
0: Oh oh wait, was it mentioned that Tartar was Stilgar's wife or uh
1: I don't remember. Well,
0: I mean it, it doesn't I, I don't know. I mean I don't think that really matters, but I think that um it, I I think it does mean that um Hera will be marrying outside of Paul's family because it was mentioned that Hera is leaving. Paul's uh leaving this whole place, this whole situation behind. So I don't think that, you know, and especially Hera mentioned something like, Oh, it's common knowledge that uh your son and I don't share the same bed or something like that. Right. Um it was yeah. I think it just means that you know they're they're not meant to marry. Um so I think that somehow um Hera will be marrying into some different family that Tartar will also be marrying into, which is really interesting because um, polygamy, I guess, is officially something that exists in Fremen culture, which sort of makes sense because in the Quran, which is the Islamic holy text, uh, it states that men should take as many wives as they can take care of. Um, I think it was something like up to four or something like that. So again, it's another nod to Islamic culture that Herbert kind of keeps sprinkling throughout this book, which is really interesting because you know, we have Christian references, Islamic references. There's some Buddhist references here and there. So a lot of different uh, things. Um, yeah. Oh yeah.
1: also I, I did find where where it said so so a woman's voice and Jessica recognized it the voice of Tartar one of Stilgar's wives so she's uh, not the she's not necessarily the main wife but she's one of them Yeah mm-hmm.
0: yeah okay so maybe Hera is marrying into Stilgar's family or somehow Paul if Paul best Stilgar um then all, all still then, <laughs> then Paul will gain all of Stilgar's wives but right now they're kind of scheming to avoid the murder of Stilgar So I'm assuming that Hera is still hoping to marry into Stilgar's family and not... She did say she was leaving, you know? Yeah.
1: I'm leaving with my sons. Yeah.
2: I mean, so did Paul just let her go, I guess?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's the, you know, she's supposed to serve him for a few years and then she's free to do as she wishes, right? Oh, yeah. Uh
2: Yeah. Yeah. And talking about polygamy, it's often frowned upon in our society and it is actually illegal to have two wives in America, but... I think it's still pretty cool to see how Herbert incorporated Islamic culture into the book. But that kind of makes me wonder what culture or religion the Bene Gesserit are related to. And I'm going to guess yeah. Christianity. But there are mm-hmm. a lot of things that don't add up with that. Because, I mean, Count Fenring's wife was trying to have Fades child, which isn't really a Christian thing. Yeah, that was sus. Yeah, yeah that was like, a little oh. Yeah,
0: that's yeah, that is very <laughs> un-Christian, right. Right,
2: so <laughs> I, I don't know what, maybe it is an actual made-up religion, but there's been a lot of parallels between Christianity and Bene Gesserit.
1: Mm-hmm. So... That's true. I feel like they just kind of like take the overarching scheme. In a way, I feel like they don't really use religion, they use religion as a tool, not as like an actual belief in a way. That's how right. I feel like.
0: I see, yeah. So it's not something that constrains them, although they use it to kind of control people. Right? Powerful, yeah. Yeah, I mean, religion is one of the most powerful things, you know, Yeah. Imagine I mean, there's
2: been a that. lot of, famous events yes. because of it I mean, yeah the Crusades let's mm-hmm. see what else I mean Nine all... clubs oh. and stuff. oh yeah
0: 9 11 yeah a lot of different things about <laughs> yeah I mean
2: even Isis a couple years ago mm-hmm. yeah. yeah although they had it some other ulterior motives area. yeah yeah that too yeah but, uh,
0: mm-hmm. yeah but so, a lot of different things have happened due to religion that are you know that that make it such a powerful tool that the benedicts do want to use mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: anyways We end the chapter with Hera calling out Jessica about not approving of Chani, which Jessica doesn't give a clear answer to and instead says, Chani is very dear to me. But Hera cuts her off by saying that her rugs are very dirty from all the people (laughs) passing through all the time. So, I mean, Hera is just playing mind games with Jessica right now. Like, what is she trying to say to her exactly? Anyways, I think that this has a very symbolic meaning because Last episode, the rec- we said that the rugs were meant to cover the fact that Jessica is living on an alien planet. But now yeah. that they're dirtied, it means that she can no longer hide behind them and has to take action.
1: Yeah, I also think that like another alternative meaning could be that Hera's saying that whether like whether Jessica approves or doesn't approve of Pa's actions so or just taking Chani into his life, it's time that like she ha- she can't control that. Like she has to move on. It's also oh, time right. to get on with cleaning off Arrakis from the outworlders because like all the great houses, the Imperium and all these other people like come to Harvard have like in a way dirtied Arrakis that like tramped all over Arrakis' pristine and deadly nature of Arrakis that like she just got to like get on with the main goal of cleaning Arrakis that like moping around, you know, like mm-hmm. worrying about Paul, worry about this and that.
0: Yeah, but what I found especially interesting about the session was that him, of course, referring to Paul is italicized. Um, because most of the time, mm-hmm. italics can represent you know deities or stuff like that, especially yeah. if you are italicizing pronouns. Um, I don't know if God or anything related to him is ever italicized. I'm um, no uh, in
1: the Bible, it's capitalized, so that's why okay. you know it's referring to God like the capital I
0: H. I see, but I mean, here it's also capitalized him, you know, I think so. I mean, him yeah, is him, what can I say? Yeah, he's him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, yeah, you can be he, but you can never be him yeah but i mean anyway so combining that him with the italics and the capitalized and you know with the words such as ally um is Hera hinting that shani will help jessica race paul towards the jihad so i mean we don't really know what shani's motives are right um because she just hasn't had her character thoroughly developed she's always kind of been shrouded in mystery and right now she just seems to be kind of sidekick to paul right um but uh-huh. nothing much past that because we don't haven't gotten like thorough character development so what's um what do y'all think about this is um shawnee kind of just hurrying paul towards Ha? do we not have enough information or... so Ch- shawnee helps jessica push paul towards conquering the universe so he can find a
1: suitable wife for himself among the royal blood
0: <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Oh, that's well, his ulterior yeah. motive. He, he just
1: wants motive. to. He just
2: wants to clap some cheeks. Is that
1: it? <laughs> he,
0: he, he's, he's trying to marry rich, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah so. <laughs> I mean, he he's already spice. pretty
2: rich from all the spice, though.
0: Oh yeah, well, if he manages to control arrakis then yeah, that's uh-huh. true. Yeah, but um, anyway, so I, I just think that you know, shawnee is some some character we need to pay attention to because she's such a direct influence to Paul. That like anything she says and does will have an effect on how Paul kind of treats, uh, the rest of, um, this this book, right? So
2: yeah, she's a wild card, just like her father. Mm She's close to him.
0: Yeah. So I mean, most of these characters' motives are generally fleshed out, but you know, Shawnee is as usual shrouded in mystery and um yeah so and hopefully we get to find out more about her and everything else in the next chapter but for now um, i believe that concludes the discussion for this episode of the do not enter podcast make sure to read to the end of chapter 42 and dune in next time when we discuss it as always thanks to all of you listeners for being patient with us and being interested in our thoughts Follow us on Instagram at Do Not Enter, Reddit user Do Not Enter, Twitter at Do Not Enter, and email us at Do Not Enter at gmail.com. That is D-U-N-E-N-O-T-E-N-T-E-R at gmail.com. Contact us with questions, feedback, or I dare say. Um, records. Okay, cool. Alright, you got through. Yep. Um, Give us a review on iTunes or Spotify. It only takes a few seconds of your time, so of course you have to make an account. And then uh, go to our show and click the five-star button because that's the only one that exists. And also Smash scroll down. Five stars. Yeah, imagine all five stars. And you know, leave a nice review um, if you want uh, because uh, the reasons are twofold. One, it motivates us to keep creating content for you guys and lets us know that we're doing a good job. And two, it helps our podcast climb up the charts so we can get it out to a wide variety of listeners. So if you were to do that, that would be very much appreciated. Um, otherwise, have a great week and we will see you all back very soon. See you guys. Bye
1: guys.